friends, I'm Paul Bruno on Toronto, Ontario, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host is AJ Scholes, a great follow at AJ Scholes24. That's A-J-S-C-H-O-L-Z-2-4, based in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin. That's very close to Rotowire headquarters over in Madison. We take a different look uh, at the league on today's episode of podcast following the NHL's trade deadline partner. We have a whole whack of trades to go through. So on today's show, we agreed that we're going to dispense with looking at each team. We're going to focus on the teams that made the trades and then the impact to their respective rosters on the deals if, if necessary. And then if we, if time permits, we'll also get into the impact of some recent injuries particularly on com- contending teams as we head down the stretch here in the month of March with one month left in regular season, about 20 games left for each team. So things are really shaping up for playoff hunts and uh, we know who the contenders and pretenders are. So let's dive in partner. What do you think about all the deals? Uh, any overview? Are you expecting more action, more big names or anything like that before we start talking? Um, I, I was surprised there were a handful of teams that kind of sat out um, mostly from the selling standpoint, like the Sabres didn't offload anything. Um, so yeah, I, I was a little surprised that a handful of teams kind of sitting out, but in terms of the additions, I mean, I, I haven't looked at it super recently, but I'm 95% sure that every team in a playoff spot added, uh, at least something. I, I, I could be wrong again. I don't have the full team by team breakdown in front of me, but, um, yeah, that was the only thing is that a couple of sellers kind of didn't do anything, which was a little surprising. Um, but otherwise, yeah, busy as always. Yeah, it was. I was watching it. Uh, the coverage here is wall to wall, as you can imagine. And a couple of sports networks just dedicate all day to this stuff. And they're, for a while there in the morning, it looked like they were going to be busy, but things picked up later and uh, a whole whack of player movement ensued. So we're going to rewind, though, AJ, and go back to – March the 16th, when things started to trickle in and some of the names started to move around. We'll go back and forth on this and give our opinions and maybe see where the fits are in terms of the respective players. And so we'll begin with our look at the first trade of note, Florida getting a fourth-round pick from the Rangers for Frankie Vetrano. Odd that Florida moved him on the face of it until you realize they had to make room for a couple other big names that came down the pipe. So uh, the impact of Fred Frankie Vitrano on the Rangers, buddy, I think it's going to be a good depth forward addition. He could even play up to second line uh, in the New York circumstance. So bolstering their scoring is what he's all about. And he'll fit right in because this team looks like a, a well-rounded club, a uh, number of really skilled players out there. And Vitrano is, is what I call a finisher. He, he's a guy that, uh, likes to get the shots on goal and puts himself in scoring positions. I think he's going to thrive over here. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'll just add real quick that it looks like Vetrano is actually even going to play with Kreider and Zabinajad tonight. So obviously a good good spot for him. Some of that, uh, a factor of uh, another player that they added, uh, actually two more forwards that they added. We'll touch on both of those later. I'll take us into the big deal that uh, kind of kicked things off. I know Vetrano was... Um, Kind of a bigger one, but uh, Ben Sherratt going to Florida for Tyler uh, Salamic. Thank you. A first in 2023 and a fourth in 2022. It's a hefty price tag, I, you know, with the first round pick in there. But overall, it's it's not outrageous. Um, and, and Florida's going for it this year. And I, I think this was an early indication of, of where they were headed. 
the fact that they're without Aaron Ekblad right now, I think adding a player like Sherratt makes a lot of sense. Um, and then, I mean, how much better do they look when, when they get him back in the lineup? So um, I, I would say their, their D was solid beforehand. Montreal gets a decent haul here. Um, and, and I think this was a good one for both sides. Yeah, this guy's position is a centerman, Milanic, and he was a guy that that uh, the team didn't want to part with in the deal. But in order to make, get a player of quality, you gotta you gotta give up something. And so it's Milanic, uh, a rangy centerman that will factor into Montreal's plans in the rebuild. They think, and uh, they got a couple of nice draft picks as well. They got a whole whack of draft picks heading into the next few drafts. Uh, that's really something that we should touch on later. Uh, in the summer, probably when we get to the draft previews, AJ, because some teams are stacked in the draft cupboard and others are bereft. And uh, those are the contending teams right now that, that have given up a lot of the future. Uh, up next, we have Kelly Arncroft going to Calgary from Seattle. Seattle offloaded a number of pieces here. They, uh, they did very well at the trade deadline, if you ask me. They got a whole bunch of draft picks coming their way, two of the three of them in this deal, as a matter of fact, for a useful player that's going to do nothing but bolster the top nine in Calgary. They've, they've added to Foley. Now they got Yarncroft, two veterans to the mix, and it was already a pretty nice-looking offense. So Yarncroft, a nice veteran piece to uh, a team that's really going to challenge for the Cup, I think, and go a long way in these playoffs. So we look forward to that aspect for Calgary fans. But Seattle, definitely stocking the cupboard at their end. For our next trade and the last on, on March 17th, another pretty significant one. Uh, Brandon Hagel was kind of the focal point of that. He heads to Tampa along with a fourth in 2022, a fourth in 2024. Returning Chicago gets a pair of firsts, one in 2023, one in 2022, and then two players, Boris Kachuk and Taylor Radish. Um, I was surprised to see Hagel got moved. Uh, I didn't think he wasn't really on my radar. Partially, you know, he just signed a three-year, $4.5 million deal. He's got two more years left on it. He's an RFA even after that contract. Um, so a young player, just his second uh, full season in the league, 37 points, including 21 goals playing for Chicago this year. Um, so, yeah, I was surprised that Chicago was willing to move him. I had seen that they were not planning on it either. Um, they just got an offer that they couldn't refuse. And when you're rebuilding, obviously losing a 23-year-old player isn't is an ideal, but to get some young players back, maybe not the same level of pedigree as, as Brandon Hagel, but then a pair of first round picks, hard to say no to that. Obviously on the flip side for Tampa Bay, what a huge acquisition here. And, and I think it's twofold. I think it's obviously for this season, looks like Hagel's going to take on the second line role alongside with Stam, uh, Stamkos and Kalorn allows the team to break up Stamkos and Kucherov they even get to move Sorelli back into a third-line role, making that a much more dangerous line, plus another player uh, in Nick Paul. We'll touch on his acquisition a little bit later. But I thought it was a great move for the Lightning for now and then into the future. I mean, we've talked in, in for a couple of years about their cap problems. Well, Hagel's locked up for 1.5 against the cap for two more years after this season. Uh, that's a great contract for a team that wants to stay in it. So it's almost like a, a slight retool on the fly, if you will, getting a younger player in, but somebody who's also going to help you right now. Well, I agree. It's a fantastic move for Tampa. They address a need to get one more scorer into their top nine. They, they get a, a guy that can play anywhere from the top 
to the third line now, in addition to the superstars they have in the mix. And uh, Chicago, certainly they get a couple of first rounders in return. Uh, seems like a more than fair return for them. But I don't know why this guy was on the trade block, AJ. He's 24 years old. And Chicago's a team that's got a couple of guys at the other end of the spectrum in Taves and Kane that are, you know, I won't say the, at the end of the line, but, you know, they're $10 million cap hits. So, well, I mean, Paul, not not to cut you off there, but like I said, they, they were not, by all counts, they were not planning on trading no him. So I wouldn't have called him on the – I wouldn't have said he's on the trade block. No, he, you know, but I was hearing the same rumors as you, AJ, for weeks. Uh, last couple of weeks I was hearing this guy's name in trade rumors, and I didn't understand it because Chicago's a team that is in a full rebuild, I would say, or should be. And this guy, I would think, would have been a keeper as a top six forward there. I don't know why you give away a guy who's proven it, but – to their credit, I guess they did see the opportunity to get two first-round picks, and maybe they hit two home runs at the draft too. But uh, you got one in the bank in Hagel, and I don't know why you go roll the dice when you when you have a guy who's proved himself this year. That's just my two cents. Didn't that may scratch in my head from the Stan- Hawks' point of view? Certainly, Tampa though uh, did very well. We head to the next day. There were three day three trades on the nineteenth. AJ and uh, first one was a very bit of a small one, so I'll go through that quickly. Nicholas Delorier goes from Anaheim to Minnesota. This is a, one of those situations where teams uh, are trying to fortify themselves with deaf players. Nick, Nick Delorier fills that role and, and will bolster his team as they add a little more depth heading into the postseason. It cost them only a third-round pick in 2023, and uh, Anaheim was only too happy to, to collect that draft pick. I'll slide us into the next big, big, big trade, though, AJ, and uh, that was Boston getting Hampus Lindholm and Cody Curran from Anaheim for a first in 22, a second in 23, a second in 24, John Moore and Erho Bakanainen. I spared you from saying that one. <laughs> they also retain 50% of Lindholm's salary. This guy goes right to the head of the class in Boston's depth chart alongside Charlie McAvoy on the blue line. He's a big guy with offensive skill. He's not very hard player to play against physically. I don't think he's slightly built 195 pounds on that big frame, but uh, he can really handle the puck. He can shoot it. And uh, he's going to be a, f- a fixture in their special teams. I'm sure uh, probably both of them, in fact, but uh, but again, Anaheim did what they needed to do in terms of getting a couple of nice draft pieces and a, a veteran in Moore and then a prospect in Buckingham who had a couple of cups of coffee with the Bruins in the last year and a half. Uh, the 50% salary retention, also a key factor in this trade and several others that we're going to talk about later today. Any impressions on this one for you? I thought it was a great addition for Boston to get a player who's not, you know, there, there were so many def- defensemen out there who are going to, you know, potentially break the bank. And, and not that they didn't give up a lot for, for Lindholm, but I, I thought it was um, a good call by them uh, to to go that that route and maybe not go after um, some of the other guys whose price tag were, were a little higher. Speaking of high price tags, we'll get into that other Florida deal and, and arguably the, the biggest trade of of the, the deadline here. And, and Claude Giroux goes to the Florida Panthers along with German Rupstoff and Connor Bunneman, a 2024 fifth-round pick. Florida, for their part, gets Owen Tippett, a 2023 third-round pick, and a 2024 first-round pick. I'll be honest with you. I was surprised that Florida was able to get uh, some some prospects along with this deal, um, You know, especially when you consider the Flyers retained half of Giroux's salary, 
I, I would have thought maybe not so much uh, in terms of the prospects, but uh, overall for, you know, for, for Philadelphia, it's an underwhelming deal. If I'm being totally honest with you, the first round picks, not until 2024, it's also conditional. Um, if it's a top 10 pick, then it slides to 2025. Not that we would expect at this point with everything they've done for the Panthers to be uh, getting a top 10 pick between now and 2024, but weirder things have happened. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought it was a little bit of an underwhelming return for the Flyers. Not terrible. Owen Tippett will be a nice player for them, but obviously on the Panther side, like to get both Sherrod and Giroux, two of the biggest names out there on the deadline, I, I think was just fantastic for them. This is already a ridiculously deep forward group and, and they're going to go and stick Claude Giroux on the first line. Like I, this team's going to be so hard to beat. It's they're going to have to beat themselves. Like they're going to have to make some serious mistakes here at some point and, and beat themselves. Cause that's such a good team right now. Yeah. And I like you think that Florida made out like bandits here. I like the addition of Connor Bunneman over Owen Tippett on its own. And uh, I don't, I've been slagging Owen Tippett for the last year here. And uh, he showed me nothing in, in Florida with primo opportunities and he failed miserably. I mean, he's a young guy, maybe he needs time, but uh, failed miserably in my eyes. And uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Jim Rupsoff and Connor Venom, one of them emerges as a better player than Tippett when all is said and done. Certainly the draft picks, you hope that for, for Philadelphia's sake that they hit on one or two of them, and uh, that might make this thing look a little more level. But I think I think Florida did very, very well on this deal. And they kept it up with the next day when things got rolling on the 20th, AJ, and they added another depth piece on the blue line. Robert Hogg is a physical presence they acquired from Buffalo for a six-round pick. I think this was a very good pickup. Uh, a couple of years ago, Hag was being touted as a centerpiece to uh, young Philadelphia defense, and I think... They- in the right circumstance, this can this guy can be certainly a quality defensive defenseman. I think there's a little bit of, little bit of an offensive upside in his game too. So he'll be at worst a third pairing defenseman in Florida, I think, and certainly young enough that he can still move up in that circumstance as well. So I really think this was a nice pickup by the Panthers. Yeah, I, I think it's a quality quality addition for you know relatively cheap here and, and gives them the kind of depth you need to make a, a postseason run. Uh, Paul, I'm going to shuffle things up just a little bit here and we'll talk about two of Toronto's trades together because I do think they should be talked about uh, in conjunction with each other. First off, the Leafs bring in Mark Giordano and Colin Blackwell from Seattle for uh, a good selection of picks, second rounders in both 22 and 23, and then a uh, third rounder in 2024. And then they also got... uh, the uh, they traded out Travis Dermott for a 2022 third round pick from Winnipeg. So um, I, I just felt like they should be kind of mentioned together because they get in one defenseman, uh, send out another. Obviously, part of that being uh, cap related to to make sure they stay under here. And overall, uh, I think the pick up here that is going to most fly under the radar, obviously, is the Colin Blackwell. Um, addition here it, it seems you know when you've got a player like Giordano being uh, traded it's uh, it's gonna draw all the attention but I think Blackwell's better than he might get credit for um, you look at his 2020-21 uh, season with the Rangers he had 22 points in 47 games 
17 and in uh, 39 for Seattle this year. And I think he can be a factor, not with the number one unit, obviously, but I think he can be a power play guy for them um, with, with the second group here. And especially when you consider that Andre Kasha continues to be out of the lineup, um, you know, you get Kasha back. Uh, I think Blackwood probably stays in over maybe, I don't know, Spezza or Kerfoot, uh, one of those guys. So I think it's a good pickup all around. I, I like the addition of Giordano, uh, obviously. And, you know, you didn't give up much in having to essentially trade Dermot away to be able to fit in Giordano. So for me, the Leafs did a good job here, Paul. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad they got your seal of approval. He certainly got mine, AJ. Uh, in adding Giordano, got to look at him. Uh, watch this game for years anyway. We And I always mention, we graduated from the same high school a few years apart uh, in Toronto. So he's a local just, guy. Just one, one, two years behind you, Paul? A couple of years, yeah. And uh, <laughs> I taught him everything he knows. He, he used to play floor hockey. I'm kidding. No, uh, he uh, obviously knows how to play the game. The guy is a couple of years removed from being the Norris Trophy defenseman, uh, winning defenseman a couple of years ago, and uh, longtime captain with Calgary and captain for the expansion club. So his leadership qualities are there in spades, and uh, so it speaks for his addition speaks for himself. It's going to really add a quality piece to the the Leafs blue line. And uh, I agree with you on the assessment of Blackwell. I think this guy is a is a pest to play against. I, I remember noticing him when he was with, with the Rangers, AJ. He just seemed to fly around the ice. And uh, his salary is – he's going to be a UFA at the end of the season, coming off a 725 entry-level cap. And if he sticks around – the Leafs are going to try and keep this guy, I'm pretty sure. And uh, they could probably snag him on an extension to a new deal, something around a million dollars, which is a very valuable situation for them if they can pull that off because you, you know they've got the likes of Spezza and Simmons, but uh, he, this guy is already ahead of them, in my opinion, in the depth chart and will threaten, as you say, for a third-line role. So uh, I like the move from Maple Leafs. Certainly uh, Dermot was a guy that I expected to see some development, but it really never came to pass. So, uh, you know, uh, they made some room for, for the incoming players by getting rid of him, and uh, hopefully he makes good on an opportunity in Vancouver. AJ, up next, we'll talk about another one of these, a couple of, I'll, I'll mention the next two in, in the same breath because they're very similar deals. Ottawa gets Travis Hamelick from Vancouver, from Vancouver for a third round pick in 2022. And LA gets Troy Stetcher from Detroit for a seventh round pick in 2022. I mean, these guys have both been around the league for a few years and they're veteran guys who play uh, on the defensive side of the puck better than they do on the offensive side. I'll say one thing. I'm surprised Stetcher only costs a seventh-round pick because he has a bit of an offensive upside to his game as well. And in Los Angeles, uh, they're starved for that uh, behind Drew Doughty. So look for him to get an opportunity to be the puck carrier on, on maybe a, a third pair there and uh, see if it ignites that offensive skill that I'm talking about. Travis Hamannock, on the other hand, more of a hard rock defenseman, uh, gives a physical presence to the Ottawa blue line. And look, he's a piece that's going to be around there hopefully for a while to be a key part of their blue line as they grow in their rebuild. I mean, I think personally, and we touched on this the other day when we were on uh, DraftKings there, Paul, I think the Travis Hamannick trade might have been the worst deal that happened mm-hmm. uh, at the deadline here. You've got a guy who's making $3 million against the cap, doesn't really produce to that level. Um, he's going to cost it $3 million next year. I know, like, Ottawa's not really concerned about the cap or haven't been for a while. 
But Vancouver is trying to dump a contract and you give up a third round pick for a guy they're trying to dump. Like it just seemed like, like if, if they had sent Dermot and like a second round pick for the, or I'm sorry, not Dermot, if they had sent Hamannick and a second round pick for a third round pick, then maybe it would have made sense. Like, okay, the cost of doing this is like upgrading, but you, you basically gave them cap relief uh, and what you paid them to give them cap relief. I just, it didn't make sense to me. Um, I didn't, I didn't like that deal. And I, I do think it was possibly the worst, the worst deal that went down uh, at the deadline here. Well, I'm curious to hear what you say about the next one. Go on. Well, yeah, I mean, this one wasn't great either. Yeah. <laughs> but, that's yeah. But, and more, more Ottawa, boy, this trade deadline has circled around Ottawa in one way or another. Um, so the lightning acquire Nick Paul, while also uh, you know some some retained salary in there as well, Ottawa gets Matthew Joseph and a 2024 fourth round pick. Look, I like Joseph, and and that's why I don't think this is the worst trade ever. I think he's a, a young prospect who could really get um, some opportunities to to maybe thrive here. Um, you look at his numbers; they're decent with Tampa. You know, 19 points last year. 18 points this year. And let's not forget, this isn't a guy that's getting top six looks once in a while he would due to injury. But if they're healthy, like Tampa's not putting Matthew Joseph in the top six. He's just, they're too deep for that with Ottawa. I think he could potentially break into a consistent top six role. And and then this looks, you know, pretty good. Again, I mentioned this off the top, though, for Tampa, like the acquisition. Now you've got Brandon Hagel playing second line. You've got a third line that looks like Nick Paul, Anthony Sorelli, and Ross Colton. Like that is a scoring line if ever I've seen one in a, in a third line role. So I, I love it from Tampa's side. I do think Ottawa could have gotten more or should have gotten more. But overall, uh, I think it's better than the other trade they made because I do like Matthew Joseph as, as a long-term prospect for the Senators. Yeah, I, can, I agree with your assessment, and I'm glad you pointed out the third-line impact on Tampa because last year they, they made some hay with their third line more because it was a physical checking line. But this time around, they had a guy who's six foot three on the left wing and has a scoring touch. Anthony Sorelli has been uh, as high as a first-line player all season long and played left wing and center. He's going to settle in in a third-line role at center, it looks like, down the stretch. And Ross Colton was a playoff stud last year. So uh, they've upgraded that third line, if, if, if anything, and uh, that really bodes very well for, for them in the minefield that is the Atlantic Division playoffs. They're armed and they're ready for it after, after that move, I, I would say. Uh, Dallas getting Scott Wedgwood from Anaheim for a conditional fourth pick. Look, at Dallas goaltending is going to be uh, in flux for a little while because – uh, Braden Holtby has had a bit of an injury-plagued season. Jake Ottinger has been a bit of a discovery. Certainly Ben Bishop has fallen by the wayside, so they had to get a 1B or a number 2. And if they can hang on to Wedgwood, uh, he's a fine backup goalie, and I think that's what they were looking for to solve that issue, which kind of dogged them in the early part of the season. So they, they figured they wanted to get that settled, and it cost them a fourth-round pick. So good call, I guess. Anaheim, on the other hand, will go fishing for a backup goalie, I think, next year uh, behind John Gibson. Well, they uh, snagged that other goalie off of waivers, Paul. Maybe they're all set with uh, Sateri that they stole no. from you. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, 
Finland. <laughs> I, uh, I I will mention uh, Anaheim's the the conditions on that fourth round pick are such that if the Stars qualify for the playoffs this year, it becomes a third round pick. Interestingly enough, Anaheim has three more games against the Dallas Stars. Wonder if they uh, throw the towel in early on those games. <laughs> To try and help the stars qualify to to upgrade that pick. No, I'm. Yeah, there's no rumor that that's the future condition, is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you have to lose these three games. Exactly. Uh, I'll take our next two picks uh, together because they are like like you talked about uh, earlier. They're they're kind of similar yeah. in that Winnipeg reacquires Mason Appleton, who they lost in uh, in the expansion draft from Seattle for a 2023 uh, fourth-round pick, while uh, Nashville brings in Jeremy Lutzan from Seattle for a 2022 second-round pick. Uh, So basically, Seattle just trading away guys uh, that are not going to be under contract next year. Obviously, Winnipeg knows Appleton well. They clearly think highly of him if they went out of their way to go ahead and, and bring him back into the organization. I think it's a good pickup for them. Nashville, of course, always the home to solid defensemen. Neither of these guys is going to cost a ton against the cap here. And, you know, with news coming out that Dante Fabro is now considered week to week, uh, the Lutzon pickup looks even better. Um, you know, Borowicki has, has been dealing with uh, some injuries as well. So it, it, it's looking like good pickups for, for both clubs. And for Seattle, they grab a few few more picks, which is all they could really hope for at, at this point in the, their you know expansion franchise. <laughs> yeah, and it bears mentioning Lausanne, obviously a depth piece for Nashville defense. We know that they're a defense factory, so he'll fit right in there. And then Appleton was a prospect in Winnipeg's system, and I'm sure they're very happy to get him back in the fold. A lot of size to his game. He fits the model that Winnipeg has up front, the size and skill, and he's probably very happy to get back in that mix and help them take a shot at a, a playoff run. Up next, we had an interesting deal when you look at what Arizona's doing. They're, uh, they're acquiring draft picks. They're acquiring top prospects. But this time, they let one go out the door that uh, could be uh, one that bites them uh, in the backside when it's all said and done. Arizona gets the rights to... Jack McBain, we don't know what he's going to turn into, but the upside for him is a, a rangy center, size, speed, skill, offensive punch. But they give him a second-round pick in 2022. It's going to be a high choice too, AJ. So uh, certainly uh, there's more known about Jay McBain than the draft pick. So let's say Arizona is, is making an informed decision based on what they think McBain can turn out to be. But sometimes those second-rounders do materialize too. So... Uh, maybe a bit of a high price for a prospect is what I'll say. Yeah. I mean, I'll just add McBain himself was a, a third round pick. So they, you know, essentially traded a, a known third round pick for a, you know, potential second rounder. So they'll, <laughs> they'll see how it works out. Minnesota for their part, McBain had already told them he wasn't going to sign with them um, in the, in the off season. So their rights to him would have expired anyway. Arizona gets the contract done a two year entry level deal um, it looks like they might give him some games this year. So uh, that would burn the first year of the, the deal. for. So overall, the winner in this trade, Jack McBain. He gets to go to the NHL right away, burns the first year of a, of a two-year entry-level contract. So good on him. Yeah, We'll head into the March 21st uh, deadline day moves here. And it starts 
with the Pittsburgh Penguins making a uh, admittedly at first head scratching acquisition of Nathan Boilo for a conditional seventh round pick. Um, I was a little confused at first. Didn't expect the Penguins to go after a defenseman, um, but the cost was pretty low. Winnipeg only actually receives that pick if the Penguins win three playoff series and Boilo plays in at least half of those games. Um, so we have to make the Stanley Cup final mm-hmm. in order to give them the pick. Mm-hmm. I think that's a fair trade. Yeah. Um, I would take a Stanley Cup final appearance uh, to have to surrender that seventh round pick. As far as the addition of, of Nathan Boyle, look, he's he's been dealing with an injury, so that's a factor as well. Um, what I will say is the Penguins have a couple of guys on the blue line who struggle in front of the net. Um, they get outworked and, and kind of beaten up in front of the net. That is not going to happen to Nathan Boyle. So if he gets into the lineup for them, if he can get healthy here, um, he could potentially see some games, uh, you know, just because of his more physical presence, uh, 6'2", 200 pounds, he's not going to be moved around uh, easily at all, that's for sure. And then up next, we have a, an interesting trade also involving Winnipeg. They get a fourth round pick in 2022 from Arizona in exchange for Brian Little and Nathan Smith. Now, Brian Little's contract essentially has been on LTIR for the better part of the last two seasons. And I don't think that's going to change going forward. So this is a move that uh, will create some cap space uh, on the on the horizon. And uh, I think that's going to be the value in this particular deal. It costs a fourth-round pick, and they also acquire Nathan Smith in the con- in the transaction. So I think it was a good deal for, for the Jets uh, to get rid of that contract if they worried about paying the uh, the thing one way or another, but certainly for Arizona, that creates some extra cap space for this team, and and uh, they will be continuing to maneuver, acquiring draft picks and offering teams to uh, give up their long term problems. That's been their math their math for much of the last few seasons in Arizona. Yeah, Nathan Smith for his part, a third round pick uh, by the Jets at uh, Minnesota State University this year, forty nine points. In 34 games, so a pretty uh, productive season for him. I would expect he signs at at some point here, unless he really wants to go back. Um, but I do believe Minnesota State is involved in the uh, the NCAA Frozen Four tournament. Um, so we'll have to see when uh, they get knocked out, or or if they win the whole thing, um, he'll probably sign. I would imagine shortly after that. For Washington, they went back to the well here and brought back Marcus Johansson from Seattle in exchange for Daniel Sprung, a fourth-round pick in 2022 and a sixth-round pick in 2023. Um, I think this was a fantastic move by Washington to go ahead and, and bring back a player who has had a lot of success with them. Initial looks, he's going to be uh, on the first First line with Kuznetsov and Ovechkin. It's possible when TJ Oshie gets healthy that that changes up. Um, but for now, that's where he's going to be. And again, I really think this is a great pickup. He was significantly more productive in his seven years in Washington than he has been on a number of stops since. So I think it's a good fit for him as well. Seattle gets a player in Sprong who's been highly touted, has bounced around a few different places. I'm not overly thrilled with his play but a few Pittsburgh fans are (laughs) Um, so 
uh, a, a former Penguins draft pick. Uh, so uh, this, the haul for Seattle's fine. Um, but I think for Washington, a, a clear win for them in, in getting back Johansson. I agree with you. Sprung has bounced around and even in Seattle's setup figures to be at nothing but a bottom six piece. So Washington gets a, a guy who will threaten top six minutes to certainly be no worse than a third liner and help their power play. So a nice, nice pickup there for sure. Then we get to Minnesota and uh, AJ, I, I got to admit, I was a little surprised by this deal. I know we speak glowingly of Mark andre Fleury, and, uh, but Minnesota had, had two pretty good goalies in, in their situation. Kakanen, who was subsequently traded, and Cam Talbot, they formed a pretty good tandem on a, on a team that's got a pretty good defensive structure as well as, as an offense that's coming together. I guess they're going for it by, by adding a piece like Mark andre Fleury from the Hawks for a conditional second-round pick. And uh, you can speak to the conditions perhaps if you want. But uh, I think the key notion here is that it uh, set in motion a subsequent deal for Minnesota that uh, they gave up on a, on a top goalie prospect in Kakonen. And uh, they're all in for this playoff. And in the Western Conference, the thing that gets murky for me is, does any of the other teams think they can challenge Calgary and Colorado? I guess Minnesota's put up their hand. But I don't think, think they will prevail against either club. And so that's really what caused me to scratch my head. Well, I'll I'll kind of tie it in with that other trade that that you mentioned. Uh, Capo Kakinen was traded from Minnesota along with a fifth round pick in 2022 for Jacob Middleton, um, which is a big addition, I think, for the Minnesota Blue Line. Um, I, I think that's really going to help help them uh, kind of bolster that group that um, you know, is, is solid. I, I, Minnesota didn't really have a ton of problems on that blue line to begin with. They have now though, Jonas Brodeen, Matt Dumba, Jared Spurgeon, and Jacob Middleton making up their top four. Uh, that's gotta be up there as one of the best, best groups uh, in the league right now. And I, I'll say, Paul, I, I kind of agree with you at first. I was a little surprised that they were willing to to do that, but I think Kakonen didn't do himself any favors in the lead up to the deadline, um, he dropped six in a row, a 3.87 goals against average there. Cam Talbot can't play every single night. Um, he just, he's shown other than that one crazy year in, in Edmonton, he's shown that he recently that that's just too much workload for him. So they needed to bring somebody in. Let's not forget, uh, Bill Gearin, uh was a former member of the Penguins both as a player and the front office during the time that Mark Andre Fleur was there. So he's obviously very familiar with the flower. And so bringing him in is good from that standpoint and from Fleury's standpoint to be willing to accept that deal. Uh, just quick estimate in my head based on where I am and the directions of both places. It's probably about a six to seven hour drive from Chicago to Minneapolis. Not great, but not terrible either. If you hop on a plane, obviously even shorter. So his family is able to stay in Chicago. He doesn't have to uproot everybody without having to be too far away. So I, I think it makes sense that uh, that he was willing to accept a move there. Um, I like this from San Jose's standpoint to get in a net miner. Net mining has been kind of a problem for them the last several years. They've tried different things, right? This year they brought in Reimer and Hill and Hill of course is injured because he always seems to be injured. Reimer played the way that I think most of us expected, which is why I'm not totally certain that they thought he would get fixed in San Jose. But um, all that to say, I think it's a good pickup for them. 
I think it's a good pickup for Minnesota, both in Middleton and Flurry. And Chicago got a pick for, you know, a player that they really didn't give anything up to get in the first place. So I think it works all around. And AJ, I'm going to take a look at the next three trades in in one spell swoop. They were all the same profile as several other ones that we've seen, where a defenseman, depth defenseman, goes to a team that's in contention for a team from a team that's getting futures or a late round draft pick. First, we have Philadelphia getting a third rounder in 2023 from the Rangers for Justin Brown. I think that's a pretty good haul for a guy who's going to be a third pairing defenseman. A good pickup for for Philadelphia, but the Rangers, who have been a very stout defensive team, get another big physical presence on their blue line and uh, it's a formidable group and then behind them they may have the best goalie in hockey right now in Chesterkin who uh, he's admittedly struggling a little bit but he's had an outstanding season then we have Edmonton getting Brett Kulak from Montreal the Oilers need a whole bunch of help on the blue line uh, if they want to take a run at things and this guy also similar profile to Braun a big baggage smasher type on the back end Uh, they have a lot of Cute players, I'll say, on that blue line who like to pass the puck around, move it around, but nobody in front of their own net to play defense. That's been a big concern. But Kulak will at least put a band-aid on that situation. Edmonton giving up on prospect William Laguson, a second in 2022 and a seventh in 2024. That's a pretty big haul for a guy who will play, I don't think, any higher than a third pairing role in Edmonton. Then Toronto gets some unidentified future considerations from Nashville for Alex Biega. He was a, an eighth or ninth defenseman in the Leaf system. He'll probably have the same profile in Nashville, and they're hopeful of a long run. And uh, they uh, they want to fortify their back end and figure this guy would help. He's been around the league for a while with previous stops in Vancouver where he showed well. So he's something of a known quantity, but nothing more than insurance on the back end for them. Yeah, the only thing I'll add is I, I agree, Paul. I was a little surprised by what Edmonton was willing to give up for Brett Kulak. Um, you know, the the Montreal did retain part of his salary. But I mean, a second, the second round pick is really what surprised me here. Um, you know, the, the, the players move in is, is fine, but I, I was surprised by that second round pick. Um, the next trade, basically a minor league deal. I'll, I'll skip over pretty quickly. LA gets fr- uh, Frederick Allard from Nashville for Braden Burke. Both these guys are, are minor league players right now. I'd expect them to continue to be minor league players for the rest of the season. Maybe a call up. For Burke, if if Nashville makes the playoffs, same, you know, Allard could come up for the Kings in, in a playoff situation. The next deal, Ottawa gets Zach Session and a 2022 fifth round pick in exchange for Josh Brown and a 2022 seventh round pick. Um, I, I think from the standpoint of, of, uh, of Boston, you're kind of just compiling. They've... Uh, Done a little bit of compiling here at the deadline to get, you know, some defensemen in here. They brought in, obviously, we mentioned Lindholm. Um, I, I'm not totally sure if Brown will crack the lineup on an every night basis. Um, he'll definitely compete alongside like a Connor Clifton, but they also have Mike Riley in there, Derek Forbort. Like, I'm, I'm not sure that he factors in heavily. And I think that, you know, what speaks to that is the conditions uh, actually, the conditions are on session, so never mind. Um, but yeah, overall, I think it's a good pickup by by Boston to bring in an, another you know defenseman. You basically have an eighth guy uh, heading into the postseason. Yeah, just one note on Sinition. This guy was uh, one of three consecutive picks the Bruins had in the first round. The only one of note 
that remains relevant in the NHL is Jake DeBrusque, and he only caught people's attention for a flash this season, but he's back to his old self and uh, in a depth role in, in Boston's depth chart. But Sinitian was one, another one of these guys that was supposed to be an impact player and never really materialized. He may be looking forward to a breath of fresh air in Ottawa and another opportunity there. But a former first-round pick is what the Senators get, and they hope that he turns into some value. In St. Louis, they get Nick Letty and Luke Witkowski, a pair of defensemen from Detroit, for Oscar Sundquist and Jake Wallman, and a 22nd-round uh, pick in 2023. Look, uh, Letty is a very nice skating defenseman. Been around the league for a long time, but he uh, his stock has fallen after some pretty good years in New York Islanders set up. Uh, in Detroit, he was more of a placeholder before they got some of their, their youngsters in the lineup. That's happening now, and so he was deemed expendable and near the end of his career. Witkowski, more of a depth piece as well. But uh, when you look at it from St. Louis's point of view, they're getting two experienced NHL defensemen in the deal. And so they're willing to part with Oscar Sundquist, who has an offensive upside. I think Detroit's going to like having him in the fold. It's it's kind of a, like a, one of those Robbie Fabry types pickups that nobody really th- thinks about it for a while until they see the guy get a top six role in Detroit and see what he can do there. And so we'll wait to see if that turns out. In Colorado, they uh, took a key player out of Montreal's lineup in Arturo Lekkonen. This guy was a playoff here for the Montreal Canadiens last season and uh, a valuable piece in Montreal's setup, I'll say. Uh, a bit of a team leader there uh, with all the youngsters that are around, and I was surprised to see them part with him. Uh, they got Justin Barron, a second-round pick in 2024, as well as retaining 24, uh, 50% of Lekkonen's salary. I think Colorado, Colorado gets a gem here in, in Lekkonen, bolstering an already stout attack and uh, just gives them more depth up front, a real quality addition, I think, from my perspective. Well, Paul, I want to circle back real quick on the, on the Letty deal. Um, day of, I, I was not sold on this, kind of kind of the way you described it. Um, didn't know exactly how he was going to factor in, where they were going to use him. But Tory Krug is now week to week with an upper body injury wow. that happened on Tuesday um, obviously they didn't know that going into the acquisition of Letty, but I think it just speaks to needing him that much more. If you look at the power play minutes after or in that game, rather, um, with, with, uh, Krug going out, it was actually Nick Letty among the defensemen who led in power play minutes. So I would expect him to be the, the, you know, top power play guy for them. Um, so, uh, you know, a bigger acquisition, then it first looked like day of. Um, I, I panned it a little bit. I didn't think he was exactly the fit they needed, but he's going to have to be um, if they if they want him to um, if they want to get anywhere here. And Lekkonen, I think, is a great addition for Colorado. Um, he he should be in a potentially top six role for them, or give them a third scoring line um, once you know once he's able to join the lineup. He's having a bit of a, some travel issues there. For a next trade, Washington brought in Johan Larson from Anaheim for a third-round pick in 2023. A nice little depth pickup. I, I don't think anything um, crazy, you know, after after getting Marcus Johansson, um, you know, I don't think they needed to, to go nuts with this. They are getting Larson after a really long absence. He's been out since January 25th due to core muscle surgery, but he was – really productive in the lead up to that had 10 points in 13 games 
if you can get anywhere near that kind of production out of him in a bottom six role, I think he can really help them. Um, obviously, they're banged up now, but when you get Nick Dowd and TJ Oshie back, uh, it, it gives them some serious options uh, throughout their lineup, including the addition of, of Marcus Johansson. And up next, we got Ottawa getting a fifth-round pick in 2023 from Winnipeg for Zach Sanford. Look, if Winnipeg can retain Sanford, I think this is a real big, de- a good deal for them. This guy is like uh, Appleton gives them a little more size, a little more bite up front, and that's what this team seems to be all about. So it's just stacking the deck in, in that particular area for, for the Jets, and it all it cost them is a fifth-round pick. Uh, of course, if he doesn't resign there, then it's a bit of a gamble that didn't really pay off, but not a, not a high price paid there either. For uh, another addition here, Colorado gets Andrew Cogliano from San Jose for a fifth in 2024. They're obviously pushing that off a ways. Um, I, again, I think it's a solid addition here. Um, he'll fit into their fourth line, probably play alongside Darren Helm, which is a pretty um, pretty nice-looking fourth line there. Uh, things will obviously shuffle up with Atari Lekkinen coming back in. Um if they get Gabriel Landeskog back here for the postseason, that's going to give them even more depth. So they've they added some some nice depth pieces. I'll I'll jump into the next one. It's a little bit of a bigger deal. Winnipeg gets a six in 2023, a conditional second in both 22 and 23 from the Rangers for Andrew Kopp. Uh, a bit surprised by the overall haul here, if I'm being totally honest. Uh, I, I did not expect a pair of second rounders coming for for cop but perhaps uh they they knew something that <laughs> that i didn't uh, about his game they could obviously uh, one of the picks could upgrade to a first if the rangers win two playoff series that obviously won't happen because they'll be facing my penguins in the first round of the playoffs <laughs> uh, no. um yeah i mean if, if if that does upgrade to a first it looks even better um, for Winnipeg here, but overall, you know, getting two second round picks in the same draft, this, this upcoming one for the Rangers side of it, uh, cop is a great, uh, great addition who should factor into their top six right now. They've got him on the second line with Strom and Panarin. Um, they, I, I love this, this forward group way more than I did about a week ago without Vitrano and cop here. Um, and another depth player, Tyler Mott, we'll touch on that in a little bit. But overall, I think they did some good work to shore up this uh, this forward group and give them some more options. Up next, Montreal gets Nate Schnarr, who was a, formerly a third-round draft pick. He's a six foot three, hundred and ninety-five pounder with some scoring upside. So you can see what Montreal's hoping to get out of him. They uh, turn around and they ship Andrew Hammond, who was recently acquired by them, because they were just hanging out a sign. Can anybody play a net here? Uh, <laughs> hope to get some of our regular guys back, but now they did get one guy back, and so uh, Hammond is out the door to New Jersey, and uh, they they need every hand that they can get on the back end as well. Take us through the next two, AJ, and then we'll get to the big one that you want to talk about, I'm sure. Sounds good. Well, I mentioned Tyler Mott. He comes over from Vancouver for a fourth-round pick in 2023. Um, Again, just a good, solid depth, you know, addition. He has just one goal in his last eight games – or one assist, rather, in his last eight games, no goals. Um, So a bit of a slow turn on on his game right now, but I think I'd rather have Tyler Mott, who has the potential for offensive upside – than some of their other options they've had at, at the bottom of this lineup. So a good overall acquisition, I think, for the Rangers. 
Edmonton brings in Derek Brassard from Philadelphia for a fourth in 2023. Um, I, from Philadelphia's standpoint, I think this is a good trade. You, I don't think you're going to get much more out of Derek Brassard. I'm not so sure about it from the Oilers standpoint here. Um, you know, Ryan Nugent Hopkins is back. So you put, you know, potentially put Broussard on that line with, with RNH and maybe that's a scoring line, but I'm, I'm haven't been sold on Broussard for a couple of years. Um, you know, 2018, he bounced around a whole bunch. His numbers with the Islanders were okay. 32 points in 66 games. Arizona numbers were underwhelming. His Flyers numbers this year, underwhelming as well. Bit injury prone over the last couple of seasons as well. So I I don't love it for Edmonton, if I'm being totally honest. AJ, that means we get to the last trade before we take a break here, and that involves your Pittsburgh Penguins. They get a signature piece, one of the better players that was moved at the trade deadline, in my opinion. Rickard Raquel goes to, uh, from Anaheim over to Pittsburgh. He should fit into a top-six role. I'm sure you're going to confirm that to me when I give you a chance to rebut. But I wonder if you think the uh, price that they paid to get him was somewhat high here. It certainly appears so for me when you think of the names Zach Aston reese and Dominic Simone. Uh, those are two players that played uh, in the top nine, and Simone certainly got a look on, on Crosby's line for a time, too. Uh, they give up uh, some good value just with those two prospects alone, but then you throw in uh, Callie Klang, who is a, a, a goalie prospect. He's only, I think, not quite 20 years old yet, and I, I think he's got some tools that, that might make him a future answer to who's next in Anaheim now that John Gibson getting a little bit older, and uh, maybe they're grooming this guy to be a factor down the road. Certainly that's the hope. And they also get a second-round pick in 2022. So that's five, four pieces for, for Ricard Raquel, two of them known entities, and one a very solid prospect and a draft pick. I think Anaheim did very, very well in this deal. Yeah, I mean, I won't say uh, won't say they didn't, but, you know, when you kind of think about it a little bit more and uh, – gauge what the the penguins actually gave up here simone and Aston reese this year have combined for five goals Mm -hmm. so you gave up two bottom six guys to get a second line winger who's going to play with malkin kale clang i agree i think he's a solid net mining prospect but pittsburgh's not really in the net mining market when you consider tristan jari's only 26 years old so you got ricard raquel for a second round pick I mean, <laughs> you know, for all intents and purposes, um, that's how it, how it worked out. I I, I like the addition here. Uh, first two games with Pittsburgh, they actually did briefly, uh, you know, try a few things out. They had him playing with Crosby, and it it seemed to work a little bit. That would allow Russ to play with Malkin, which I which I think they're fine with going either way. Um, so yeah. Right now, uh, looks like when the Lions came out for their most recent game, Raquel was technically listed on the third with Jeff Carter, but then they also had Rust with Malkin and, and Gunsel with Crosby. So even if that's the case, if it's not a top six role, um, I still really like it, uh, giving them somebody else to play with Jeff Carter and, and three potential scoring lines. So I don't mind it. They had guys like Brian Boyle and Redeem Zahorna, Brock McGinn's banged up, so it's not like we needed some additional guys in the bottom, you know, fourth line here. We have definite options with McGinn and Boyle and, and Zahorna. AJ, I thought we had one more remaining significant deal uh, of the 
trade deadline, and we'll wind it up there before we go to break. It was a three-way deal where Carolina receives Max Domi. They pay a quarter of his salary. It was a big cap hit. And they receive uh, prospect Tyler Inamoto. Uh, Columbus gets Aiden Reschuk from Florida, while Florida retains 50% of Domi's salary and a 2022 sixth-round pick from Columbus, which is actually Toronto's pick, as well as formerly prospect, I know something about this guy too, Igor Korshkov from Carolina. So a lot of moving parts, but basically at the end of the day, Max Domi winds up in Carolina. And I know the last time we spoke about Domi on this show, AJ, I was talking about the fact that maybe I'd like to see the Leafs pick him up. But then I started to do some homework on this guy. And uh, he doesn't thrive in situations where he's not totally happy. He he kind of... I I I... I don't want to say sulks, but he doesn't show as well as I think he could. And, and he hasn't in a couple of circumstances now in his young professional career. This is a guy who was playing for the London Knights when they were a Memorial Cup threat every year, playing alongside Mitch Marner, and he was holding his own there. So I know he has a lot of offensive skill. I thought he had some feistiness to his game, but what turned on me, AJ, is that I look at his stats, and he has only one more hit on the season than the, the guy that does a vanishing act here in Toronto in that category, and that's Willie Nylander. Nylander's a scoring machine, though. He's he's going to be on pace for 30 goals. You won't say the same thing about Max Domi. So I'm glad the Leafs didn't pick him up. I wonder if there's going to be fireworks in Carolina with Domi and Rod Brindamore. And right now, Domi's even not, not fit to play. He's got a foot injury that he's dealing with. So things are not getting off to a good start for him. And I think he better get his head squared away because Brindamore will challenge him. I'm curious to see what you think about all this. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll just uh, add real quick. Dome is going to play tonight, so he he will be back in the lineup. Um, I agree with your assessment on, on whether or not he's going to be a fit. I, I don't know um, the answer to that. What I did find surprising about this is essentially the Panthers helped facilitate this move. Now they got something for it. It's not like they didn't, um, but a little surprised to see them facilitate a move to an in um in division rival um well no not in division um in conference yeah but somebody who they're gonna play i mean by all accounts there's a good chance that carolina and florida could meet sure um in an eastern conference final um so a little bit surprising that they were willing to step in and help out here um but overall i think you know columbus probably wins this deal by by getting something out of there and it's they're not the ones who might have to play uh play max domain <laughs> at the end here so um yeah it, we got to see what happens honestly i think that that to your point what happens with domain will determine how we evaluate this exactly it'll be fun to watch uh aj we're going to take a bit of a break right now and be back with our look at some of the key injury news and our dfs plays ahead of tonight's schedule on rotowire's podcast with statsman and aj We'll get back to our audience after these messages. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, we're back, but let's have another look and uh, at uh, how people can get in touch with us, AJ. We encourage our listeners to get back to us uh, as often as possible, and uh, you know how to get them to do that. So over to you, pal. Yeah, absolutely. We always encourage any of our listeners to reach out to us on Twitter, um, send your comments and questions about anything that's happening in hockey uh, with your fantasy team or, you know, other topics that, that you might want to talk about. Paul uh, knows a little bit about baseball, a little bit about basketball. Uh, I can talk soccer if you'd like. Um, so, yeah, we, we are jacks of all trade on other topics. Of course, if you're looking for the DraftKings show that runs uh, Monday through Friday that we uh, usually are on, you can usually find the link for that on Twitter as well. So, uh, yeah, we would love to interact with any questions, comments, or uh, concerns. Uh, you know, our friend Daniel Negreanu likes to uh, hit me on how bad I am at pronouncing names. I'm sure he'll have some things to say after this show. I'm, I'm confident that I botched a, num- a number of those. So look out for that on Twitter as well. You can follow me at AJSholes24, and you can follow Paul at Statsman22. 
All right, AJ. And before we get into some injury news, there was one non-deal, I called it, uh, that uh, caused me to think about Dan Negreanu. I wonder what he thinks about the fact that the league voided a late deal where the uh, Vegas club was trying to send Evgeny Dodonov to Anaheim to clear some cap space to, to create room for some of their guys on the injured list to come, possibly come back to the lineup. Well, uh, the deal was that he had a 10-team no-trade clause in his contract and Anaheim was one of those teams so he had to give his permission to to deal with Anaheim and anyway the thing didn't get sorted out before the three o'clock deadline so the deal that was announced showing him moving to Anaheim was rescinded by the league because it didn't meet with uh, the par- within the parameters of the trade deadline itself so uh, a little bit of egg on their face for the management team in in Vegas and now they're hamstrung in terms of trying to figure out how do they get some of their better players off the IR and make them eligible for uh, a second, uh, a last-ditch run at a playoff spot and hopefully a playoff run. But both are in very serious jeopardy right now. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we should talk about the fact that some of this uh, is the Senators' fault. Um, obviously, you know, you you put it on, on Vegas that they should have – Maybe done a little more diligence. I I think that's a fair assessment. But by all accounts, what happened was um, he, uh, Dadnoff, that is, submitted his no uh, trade list on June 30th was and submitted that to Ottawa. That was the required date that it needed to be submitted by. Um, It included Anaheim. And then he was traded from Ottawa to Vegas without that no trade clause being disclosed or, or sent along or the list rather. Um, so, you know, I think uh, Ottawa is somewhat to blame for that. Vegas should, you know, take a little bit of heat for, for not having verified that. And yeah, I mean, the one possibility here that they're going to have to consider um, and, and I'm not a cap expert. I, I, not really sure how they could get Mark Stone off long-term IR right now. They could potentially move Robin Leonard, Riley Smith, and or some combination of Brandon McNabb off injured reserve onto long-term injured reserve, depending on which one of those guys uh, might not be back until when. They certainly could get Alec Martinez back, um, but there's a potential that they just have to kind of wait until the, the playoffs. Cause I just don't see how you're going to make it work um, with these guys and, and go from there, but we'll dive into those injuries that you mentioned. And, and Paul, I'll just lead us into the first one here that we were talking about Patrice Bergeron of Boston. There was some suggestion that he might be ready to play tonight. Unfortunately, that is not the case. Patrice Bergeron will be out of the lineup here. Uh, They are hoping he'll be ready to play on Saturday. And then uh, they'll have Jack Stunica take on the first line role with Marchant and DeBrusque uh, in his stead. So uh, another day that the Boston Bruins will have to wait for Bergeron, but it does sound like his returns around the corner. And then we get into uh, some of the other moves uh, that we're anticipating. Arturo Lekkanen, we're hoping to see his debut in Colorado, but it's going to be delayed because there are immigration play issues at play here for a guy who was playing in primarily in Canada, and now he's playing south of the border in Colorado eventually. So that leads to some immigration concerns. A few players are having to deal with that. Some have been rectified, but this one's outstanding, so he'll be delayed in terms of his start. 
Up next, Ryan Nugent Hopkins from the Oilers. Uh, AJ, he's been missing for the last three weeks with a shoulder injury. It's been a up and down season for him in terms of staying healthy, but it looks like he's going to be playing today, and that's thanks to your great research that uh, you were unable to, able to unearth that just before the show. So thanks for putting that note in. Take us through the next one, though. It's a key one in Florida. Yeah, absolutely. RNH being back in the lineup, huge for Edmonton. One player that won't be back at least for now and, and possibly the remainder of the regular season, is Aaron Ekblad for the Panthers. I do think that factored into their decision to go out and get Ben Sherratt. I think they have all the tools to weather that storm, um, but obviously that that's a big player to to be missing um, there. For for L.A., they've got a couple of guys uh, that have been on IR in, in Brown, Arvidsson, and Athanasiu. Um, really limiting their forward options, but they are going to get Arvidsson back today. He was off the injured reserve um, and, and will play in that lineup. Paul, any thoughts on Ekblad or the absence of Brown and Athanasiu? Boy, oh boy, there's some concerns in Florida. If, if he comes back less than 100%, uh, he's the linchpin of their, their blue line. So that's a huge element to be out without in Florida. And you wonder, they've got a nice little lead in the first first place in the division. You wonder if any of the next three were hot on, in hot contention for the second spot, Bruins, Leafs, and uh, and the Lightning, of course, if any of them can catch Tam, the Florida and maybe steal home ice through the first two rounds of the playoffs, that could be a key element. So uh, we'll keep an eye on how Florida navigates the next few weeks. But without Ekblad, it'll be a challenge. And, of course, L.A., you mentioned – three guys on their right wing that have been in the infirmary for a couple of weeks and they're getting a couple of them back. So that's the great news there. This is a team that uh, I, I think I give you credit for forecasting that they would be a threat for a playoff spot. I think they're a cinch to get in now and uh, having these two of these three guys back is going to help in that regard. So got on that. Um, next up, Dante Fabro of Nashville out week to week with an upper body injury. That's a tough blow for this blue line. This guy, Behind uh, behind their signature piece, Roman Yossi, he might be uh, the next most valuable blue liner here, in my opinion. He can play at both ends, has a power play presence as a secondary piece there behind behind Yossi. So he's an important guy that they'll be without, and uh, hopefully they get him back uh, before the playoffs start. But it's it's dicey right now. Yeah, we'll dive into a few more here as we continue our, our run through the injuries. Drake Batherson of Ottawa. Looks like a good chance for him to play Saturday. Uh, they have not confirmed him in for sure, but that ankle injury already cost him 23 games. He had 34 points in 31 games this season, so a really strong start to the year here um, and, and obviously would help you know their team down the stretch. Um, but really, we're just talking about helping Ottawa be, you know, not as hard of an out. Um, you know, getting Batherson back is not going to change their playoff standing. Uh, in Pittsburgh, it's been Jason Zucker out with a lower body injury, um, really just limited to, to one game here for the Penguins. No real indication of when he will be back. Um, has been skating, so that's obviously a, a you know, a step in the right direction, but uh, no, yeah, again, just no clear indication on when he might be available. Obviously that would give them even more options uh, into that, that top six or, or top nine and, you know, would be a, a nice addition for them. 
AJ, up next, we're going to talk about St. Louis. They're missing a couple of guys at center. Experienced hands in uh, Rob Thomas and Tyler Bozak for the last little while, but Thomas seems to be a guy that will be back in the lineup. It's Bozak's injury that will be more of a longer-term situation, so things uh, are looking up, but uh, they'd like to get both guys back in the fold. And I, I've said it before, this is a team that I'm going to watch because uh, they're getting things squared away up front and on defense. And if ben, Bennington can rediscover his game, he and Huso are a very nice one-two punch in the Nets. So all hands on deck there pretty soon, save for Bozak. I'll dive us into the Leafs situation, AJ. There's a whole bunch of news to consider when you think about the fact that this past week, Andre Kasha was hit in the head again. Every time this guy gets hit above the shoulders, I'm, I have to hold my breath. And this was another one of those circumstances where he's again in co- uh, concussion protocol. He's been a very nice in, in addition in Toronto. He's double digits in goal scoring. And it was a low-cost addition that really worked out. They've made a few of them this year here. And so uh, a pleasant performance out of him when he's been uh, – solid performance out of him when he's been healthy, I'll say, and just hope that he can retain it, regain his health as they get into the postseason. Then uh, most recently, Ra- Rasmus Sandin – Suffered a knee injury. I, I watched every minute of every second of the action. I don't know when this happened, but it was late in the, their second last game, apparently, that it happened. And it's a significant enough injury that's going to keep him out for at least three weeks, AJ. So uh, the young defenseman was making great leaps and bounds in terms of um, uh, maturing his game and being a factor offensively on the second power play. He was driving it, and uh, he was he was handling things with, better in his own end. little problem with the physical play when it gets going, but he's got a lot of offensive skill. And I, I think he's got a lot going on between the years. He really knows how to see the ice. And so uh, they'll miss him until he gets healthy. Uh, but the key news is uh, the other two guys that are in the infirmary right now, Jack Campbell dealing with a rib injury. He's already missed about six games and uh, he's skating with the club, working with the goalie coach. They're showing clips on a daily basis. Like he's, the savior who's coming around the corner to solve their goaltending issues. I certainly hope that he comes back at a, as the early season version of himself than the, as opposed to the latter one. That's the key, and it's going to be the key to Leafs' fortunes, I think, uh, as they get into the playoffs against uh, this minefield of opponents. And then Jake Muzzin, the other experienced hand on the back end in the de- defense, he's had an issue with concussions this all season long and recovering from his most recent one as well. So it's the headshots that have been crippling this team, and you hope that Muzzin and Kasha can come back and uh, just do what they've normally done in their career and be contributors here. For Vegas, it seems like one step forward, one step back. The, I'll start with the good news here. Max Pacioretty is a game-time decision tonight, so he could be an option to return to the lineup. Um, they are going to be without a number of guys, including Mark Stone, Riley Smith, Robin Leonard, Alec Martinez, um, Braden McNabb. Now, they said it uh, looks like, according to the coaches, the first possible back of those guys is Leonard and McNabb are ahead of when Smith and Stone would be back. They didn't offer any details on timing there. And then Alec Martinez is still considered day-to-day. So if if you were going to put this into a who's back first, it looks like Martinez and some combination of McNabb and Leonard, then Smith and Stone um, obviously, uh, that excludes Pacioretty, who's a, a game time decision tonight. So that's kind of your outlook. There's no clear timeline. It, it, it's not clear what that means is McNabb and uh, Leonard, you know, eight weeks and the other two guys are 10. Like, uh, so they haven't really offered any details there. More bad news coming out of practice this morning is that Laurent Brossois is dealing 
with an undisclosed injury. Now, he was supposed to start on Thursday last week um, against the Panthers. They pulled him out. He still did serve as the backup. He, at the time, he was healthy enough to back up. Now it looks like that's not even the case. He's not going to be in the lineup tonight against Nashville at all, not even going to work as the backup. So Logan Thompson gets another start. Yuri Patera is up from the minors to help shore that up as well. Um, so they went from you know just already being on their number two net minor, where now they're looking at their number three. Thompson's numbers to start haven't been terrible, but I don't know how long you want to rely on a guy with less than 10 games of NHL experience. We'll see how many games of experience he has by the time Brossois or Leonard is ready to return. And AJ, that uh, leads us to the final injury note of of any consequence. That's TJ Osi. His season from hell continues. He's only played in 28 games all year and got about 20 points. So you know he's a capable contributing factor here at both ends of the ice, but offensively they're going to miss him. That means that Marcus Johansson, the recently acquired former cap, is back in the lineup, as you implied earlier, to a top-line role alongside Backstrom and and Ovechkin, and that certainly should enhance his uh, DFS value play, and what a lovely segue as we approach the DFS (laughs) part of our show, AJ, and uh, come up with our FanDuel and DraftKings lineups. For our picks tonight on uh, this slate of interesting games, I'll say, I'll throw to you first for what you have in store on the DraftKings side. Well, look, I'll start by saying I I don't know that you can have too many shares of the Florida Panthers tonight. Um, I just don't think uh, you can overdo it when you consider they're playing Montreal. I highlighted this earlier today over on DraftKings, the fact that on this season, Montreal has – the lowest goals for of any team in the league and the highest goals against. Um, That's not a recipe for success. Um, I think Florida could uh, use and abuse them tonight. So I'm actually going to get that entire first line into my lineup. Starts with Alexander Barkov, 8,700. Not cheap, but I think worth every penny. He's continued to produce a fantastic matchup. I'll take Claude Giroux, 5,100. Look, could there be some concerns? You know, he just joined the team, blah, blah, blah. Sure. Um, But this is a guy that knows how to produce, and he's playing with a phenomenal talent in Barkov. So I'll get him in there as well. And at this point, you know, Verhege's numbers haven't been phenomenal. He had a a good hot streak earlier in the year, has cooled a little bit, or had cooled a little bit, but um, continues to produce and somehow still comes in at 3,900 on DraftKings. In fact, right now, He's got six points in his last six games, uh, so that's a steal there. Um, So I've got that whole first line in my lineup. My other center, I'm going to just play the odds here, Paul, at at this price tag. I mentioned that Jack Studnicka was going to play first line with Brad Marchand and Jake DeBrusque, so 2,500 for him. I know it's up against Tampa. It's not a great matchup, um, but he's a a floor-priced guy who's playing first-line center. Could stumble into a point there. Probably pretty high ownership, I would imagine. So um, take that for what it is. My other winger is going to be David Perron for St. Louis. 5,900 for him. He's got a seven-game goal streak. Eventually, that's going to come to an end. But playing at home against the Flyers, who are going to have Martin Jones in between the pipes tonight, I don't think is exactly uh, an ideal time for, for that to come up short. So I'd expect him to continue that goal streak going tonight. 
My utility spot, I'm going to grab just a small share of Minnesota tonight. They are playing at home um, against Vancouver. Vancouver is a, a much more difficult matchup for them. But Freddie Gaudreau comes in at 3,900. He's anchoring the second line alongside Matthew Boldy and Kevin Fiala. Good spot to pick up a guy at less than 4K. Um, I did make the decision. Uh, we Again, we talked about this at length on the DraftKings show earlier today. Roman Yossi is the most expensive player um, of, of any player, goalies included, on the DK slate tonight at 9,200. But this guy has just been freaking unstoppable of late. Um, you look at even just the shots, um, you know, he's got a, a 13 game or an 11 game rather uh, point streak going right now. He's got 43 shots over that stretch. So that's almost four a game. That's a really nice floor. He's got just over two blocks a game. Again, another fantastic floor there. Um, 25 points, seven of which have come on the man advantage. I think he's worth 9,200 tonight. It's it's not cheap, but but you got to try it. My other uh, netminder, or defenseman rather, I'm going to go back to St. Louis here. I like the matchup. And I mentioned off the top, it looks like Nick Letty is going to step in for, for Tory Krug on the number one power play unit for the Blues. He comes in at that floor price of 2500 which again could mean uh, a higher ownership tonight. But again, I think a good spot to have him in and get a share of a guy with some power play minutes whose you know, fantasy points per game aren't going aren't gonna to wow you, but um, – He's, he's in a good spot. Then between the Nets, like for me, this was a no-brainer tonight. I know there's a couple other options on the slate, um, but Spencer Knight's going to get the start for Florida, 8,300. Um, just too good of a matchup. You're playing Montreal. They can't score. Um, they don't play defense. So even if Knight gives up one or two, uh, I guess the only concern you could have is, is Spencer Knight going to face enough shots where if he gives up one or two, is the is the points worth it? So I, that that would be maybe a fair argument against it. But that's where I'm going to roll with this uh, DraftKings lineup. Uh, I'll tweet it out just in case anybody wants a, a closer look at it. And AJ on the FanDuel side, uh, I didn't check with you before we went mm-hmm. on the air, but I too agree with you. Montreal is in for a rough ride, and it's going to be the first line of Florida that drives a lot of that scoring. I went with all of them too, and it's kind of interesting to always note uh, the price differential on a, on a player or two. In this case, there's one big difference in price tags. Verhage comes in a lot more expensive for me than you got him. But uh, Barkov comes in at $8,900 to lead me off. This guy's one of the best centers in hockey, one of the best players in hockey, year in, year out, having another outstanding campaign. And uh, apart from Suzuki, I don't know who the Canadians can put on him to kind of slow him down. Maybe Jack, uh, Jake Evans is a guy that they're going to put a checking assignment on him, but good luck with that. Uh, Florida's power play, too, one of the more dangerous ones. This is the highest-scoring team in hockey for a reason. They know how to put the puck in the net, and uh, it starts with their big, rangy center. The other guy that I have at center costs a lot less, but I think he has a really nice matchup. We talked about the troubles in Vegas, and Ryan Johansson's had a very nice season, and he's kept it up all year long. Very consistent effort out of him for the first time in years in Nashville, and I'm all over it. He's playing first-line minutes. He costs only $5,200, and this is a mismatch, so I'm happy to get him in as my cheap sentiment, I'll say. Then I went to uh, my sidekick theory for the next two players, and they both are on the first line in Edmonton. I didn't want to spend up to get McDavid, but I'm going to get the impact of McDavid by putting both Kyler Yamamoto in and Evander Kane. Yamamoto comes in at $5,000, 
and Kane at $7,800. You men mentioned the goalie issues in San Jose. I think this is a spot where Edmonton can really run up a total, and those guys should be a key part of that as well. Rounding up my forward compliment, I did suggest that I was going with the uh, – Bank of the Florida first line, you bet I am. Carter Verhage, listen to this, AJ. You got him for less than four thousand, I think. I'm paying fifty three hundred dollars to get him in the lineup against Montreal, but there's too much value here in, in this play, so I'm happy to do it. And then Claude Giroux comes in at sixty one hundred dollars to round up my forward compliment. I had to go cheap on the blue line to make this all happen and fit. But I've got two guys that drive their respective offenses and play some power play minutes in each case. So I'll take them as favorites to win their respective games, too. So that should only give them more chances to produce points. I'll go with Neil Pionk of Winnipeg. I really like the look of this team as they head down the stretch. They they are starting to play much better hockey and they're facing an Ottawa, Ottawa club that's playing well, but I think is in over their heads tonight. You get Pionk for $4,300. And for $4,300, you get Philip Ronick of Detroit, who is one of their two offensive defensemen. Defenseman Moritz Sider is the one that's getting all the, the notoriety, but Ronick is, is no slouch in that area. And I think he's going to get a lot of offensive zone starts because that's his game too. He comes in at $4,300. AJ is probably wondering, where the heck is this guy going in goal? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleur is going to get a good view of things here in Minnesota, but I think Cam Talbot is the guy that's going to go in net. Regardless of who plays in net, though, I'm taking the Minnesota goalie at $7,900. I think that they're a very good home home ice team. Uh, certainly Vancouver's a good road team, so it's a match of strengths, really. But I'm trusting Minnesota's size to and skill to be uh, too much for Vancouver on this night. Vancouver's come in, coming into this game having scoring issues in the last few games, and Minnesota's been able to shut things down defensively as well. So I, I'm counting on the latter two points to, to give me a goalie win here. So that rounds up our look at uh, the trade deadline and uh, the key injuries. And I think the the latter is going to be a, a concern that we will harp on down the stretch because we're getting to the short strokes in our, our fantasy hockey season, long seasons too. And you want to know the shape that the contending teams are at are in as they head down to the end of the regular season schedule and prepare for the postseason. We won't forget about the the uh, also-rans either because there's some high point totals among some of the scorers on those teams. Witness what Patrick Kane is doing this year as an example. So we'll certainly not forget about them and keep that up. But AJ, all in all, uh, I was pretty satisfied with the trade deadline as it was and uh, concerned, though, about some of the injury situations that have arisen around the league. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The you know, it always seems to happen that you make all these trades and teams look really good, and then all of a sudden something pops up. Uh, made me obviously think of uh, you know Tory Krug going down. I think that's a, a pretty big deal for them. So yeah, we'll see what happens. Uh, I did want to follow up, Paul. It will be Cam Talbot. He is confirmed to be in the Nets for Minnesota tonight. Thank you. Thanks for that. Okay, friends, uh, that wraps up our look around the league in uh, this episode of Podcast with Statsman and AJ. Thanks for listening to Rotowire's Signature Fantasy Hockey Podcast. In the meantime, as always, please remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22, and you can follow AJ at AJScholes24. As always, we invite you to listen in to podcast to get our tips to stay out of the competition in your fantasy hockey planning and research. So long, everybody. Mm-hmm.